Now, as we are continuing in our series, being and building, what it means to make disciples. Thank you. <laughs> Afraid I'm going to drop that on the floor. You know, it's been a, it's been a good series so far. It's been um, it's funny. It's one of those things you think, looking at Jesus's sayings, looking at Jesus's commands, would be an easy series to do. And uh, you know, because it always. Pre- I'm sorry, I got stumbled. Um, and I'm scoot this over. There we go. Um, but you know, you you assume that it's because the movies, you know, no matter what's going on, Jesus is always the when he talks, it's the soothing voice. You know, chaos around, he floats into the room, you know, and he's and there's kind of a glow around him, and he talks, and everybody. Oh. Well, as you begin to study what Jesus said, it, it was tough. There were times he didn't he didn't mess around, and uh, and so you know we look at it, we go, well, I don't really understand exactly what he's saying, so it doesn't impact me. But as we begin to study and look at what Jesus said, we realize he was really challenging the status quo. He was challenging the people that were there. He was challenging the disciples, and so as we Our theme verse, as we go through this series, is Matthew 28, the Great Commission. It says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The one thing that I think over the years, because... People tend to take this passage on Missions Week. You know, we're having a missions uh, conference, and so someone preaches from Matthew 28. And so it gives the impression that Matthew 28 is only for pastors and missionaries. That we're the only people who are called to go and make disciples. But the problem is, that commission is given to everyone. We're all called to go and make disciples. Now, it's very easy and almost, in the church, exciting to talk about being a disciple. Someone is discipling me. They're teaching me. I'm growing to be a disciple. But then when we talk about making others disciples, then it gets a little tough. But Jesus gives us a very easy formula on how to do it. He says, first, baptizing them, leading them to a relationship with Christ. That week, out of the ones who came to know Christ, it was neat to see how God moved. Seth, who early on in the week, there was a gentleman from another church. Seth was sitting over before dinner, kind of hanging out by himself. And this young man from another church saw him sitting there and just went over to kind of get to know him. And then the conversation led Seth to the Lord. And then then, um, TJ said, well, Caitlin's been asking some questions. Can you get a chance to talk to her? So the next day at lunch, I sat down to talk to Caitlin, and Caitlin and Gracie were sitting there, and as I'm talking, and the Lord's moving, both Caitlin and Gracie prayed to receive Christ. And then later in the week, Jamie and William are talking to Dominic, and and God's moving, and there's some questions and some different things. And and so I sit down with Dominic to kind of maybe fill in some of the, the questions and those things, and as I'm talking to him, he's 
God's moving, but he's going, yeah, give, me, give me tonight to think about it. And the next morning, he, he prayed to receive Christ. And so all these different avenues that are bringing people to Christ. And it's not even a matter of saying, well, I'm always afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. Well, I'm just going to tell you right now, there's not a single person in this room who's going to save another person. You are the instrument. And you say what God puts on your heart, God will work in their lives. God will change their hearts when it's God's timing to change their hearts. You're there to share the message. So we baptize, and then we teach them all that Christ has commanded us. And so that's really what this series is all about, is all that Christ has commanded us. Now, our first three messages were basically focused on these three things. What do you want? Who do you want to serve? And then to love God and love others. So it really comes down to the motivation to obey the commands of Christ. You know, why should we do this? Why should we be or make disciples? You know, because we we want to do what God's called us to do. We love others. We love God. We're doing this out of that motivation. And then last week, Brian talked about you must be born again and choose the narrow way. You cannot be a disciple if you're not born again. Now, We all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. You know who said that? Anybody know who said it? It's not tough. Jesus said that. He's talking to Nicodemus who is the teacher of Israel. Nicodemus was the one that all the other teachers came to for the answers. And he's talking to Jesus at night. And Jesus says, you must be born again. They get into this whole discussion. Jesus goes on to say, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so we, we see this idea that you there's got to be a change in who you are. It's not just a matter of knowing all the answers. Nicodemus knew all the answers. But Nicodemus needed to be born again. And so Brian talked about that. He talked about choosing the narrow way. Not the way that's always the popular way, but the way that is the way that Christ has called us to choose. You know, we had, um, the ministry I work with, we had three of our teammates this last week in one of the, I'm not going to say what country, but they were arrested for their faith. One of them actually is a refugee from another country who was arrested in this country for sharing his faith, and it's very possible he will be deported back to the country that he escaped from and doesn't want to go back to, but he may have to. But the idea here is they are saying, doesn't matter what you say, this is what I'm going to do. I remember someone asking me not too long ago, because we were talking about breaking the law and if you should fulfill the law, and I had already told them some stories about some of our teammates sharing the gospel, in countries where it's illegal to share the gospel. And he said, well, if, why is it okay for them to break the law if it's not okay for me to speed? <laughs> you know? And I go, well, it's different because if you're speeding because you're taking someone to the hospital because they are dying, you now have a higher law that oversees the speeding and you can do that to get them to the hospital. Now, you've got to understand, too, if you get stopped and you get a ticket, you still got to pay the ticket. 
But you are taking the life of this person as more important than that speeding law. The gospel supersedes the law that says you can't share the gospel. Now the issue though is not, I share the gospel, I get arrested, and I fight and kick and scream and sue and call, you know, call everybody in the, no. When you're arrested, you're, you realize you've broken the law. And so these guys know they've broken the law, but they're taking that narrow way that says, no matter what anybody else says, I'm following Christ, and I'm going to do what He's called me to do. Now, I grew up in church, and I can remember, we've talked about it before, you know, I remember people talking about, you need to get baptized. Now, it wasn't so much sometimes that they were telling me about Jesus, they wanted me to get baptized, or you need to make a profession of faith, uh, and you need to learn to tithe, and you need to do all these things, and there's nothing wrong with that. You, know, you may say, I, I made a profession of faith. I pray daily. I give to the church. I fast from time to time. I've even been to the Holy Land. I've been on a trip to the Holy Land. I've walked where Jesus walked. You say, man, doesn't that make me a strong Christian? Actually, it kind of makes you a Muslim. Because Muslims have a profession of faith. They say every day. You ever been in a Muslim country? Starting at 4.30 in the morning, you hear a loud speaker where they're praying throughout the whole country and they repeat this profession of faith. Loudly. It'll wake you up if you're still asleep. They pray daily. Many times a day. They give alms. They fast. They make a pilgrimage to Mecca. Now, I'm not comparing the two. And those two are definitely opposites. But the point is, we've got to get beyond this idea that if I'm just good enough, and if I just do enough things, then I'm going to be right with the Lord. Because Jesus challenged Nicodemus, he challenged the disciples, he challenged the Pharisees, he challenged the Sadducees. Everyone was told that it's not just a matter of being good. So now let's look at the two passages we're looking at today. One says this, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then the next passage says this, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So let's look at this first passage. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when you read a passage that says, From that time, it's a good idea to figure out from what time. What what is going on that it's from that time Jesus decided to begin to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But if you read the context of the passage in verses 12 through 6, it talks about John being arrested. John has been preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now John has been arrested. And it says Jesus went from Nazareth up to Capernaum. And as he's in Capernaum, it says that this is to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah says. That in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the land of the Gentiles, the light will go forth. So there's a reason that Jesus now has moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. 
Well, part of that reason is John has been arrested. John's been preaching to the Jews for years, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But now Jesus moves from a a predominantly Jewish area to a predominantly Gentile area. And he begins to teach the same thing. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, you'll read some passage. I know some of you are sitting out thinking, but I've read it say kingdom of God. What's the difference between kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven? No difference. Jesus, Matthew doesn't say kingdom of God because he's a Jew and for him to use the name of God would be uh, blasphemous, so he just says kingdom of heaven. Same idea. But Jesus is saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, several years ago, I say several. Every time I say several, I'm thinking five or six. It was probably 30. Um, but there was this big debate in the church over the word repent. There was one side that said repent means a total change of who you are. One side, it just means a change of mind. Now, if you look at the etymology of the word, it means change of mind. And so the person was saying, that's really what it's trying to say is this, is you just have a change of mind about Christ. Now, you've got to be careful how you use words. And let me give you an illustration. This Wednesday, my great-niece was sitting in my lap, and she tells me a story. She says, this week, we had a gorilla dead in our front yard, and the ducks were pecking it to death. And I said, what? <laughs> we had a gorilla... Dead in our front yard, and the ducks were... And it looked like this. I said, well, something. So she's seen something has happened. But I'm still trying to figure out how this gorilla and the ducks pecking it to death is related to what we're talking about. The third time we're going through the the story, her mother overhears, and her mother says, no, we had a dead armadillo in our front yard, and the vultures were eating it. So, you know, you have to be careful how you use words. Yes, Armadillo and gorilla sound a lot alike to a five-year-old. But, but we've got to be careful here. And yes, the, the original understanding of this word meant to change your mind. But if I decide, okay, I voted for, I'm not even going to name names, but I voted for this candidate. But this candidate won, and I go, I really don't like what they're doing, but I'm going to change my mind and decide to like them. I still don't like their policies. I'm not going to listen to them. I'm not going to do anything they ask me to do. But I changed my mind about them. You think that's what Jesus is calling us to do? Is not, well, yeah, I don't really like Jesus, but I'm going to change my mind. Okay. No. It's so much more than just a change of mind. Jesus is asking people to change everything about themselves. D.A. Carson says this, Repentance is not merely intellectual change of mind or mere grief, still less doing penance, but a radical transformation of the entire person. That's what repentance, that's what Jesus is calling people to. Jesus didn't call his disciples to come and just decide to change their mind about who he was. He called for a radical transformation of who they were. He didn't call for a profession of faith. He didn't call for church membership. He didn't call for baptism in the sense of just doing it. He didn't call for them to give money. 
He called for a radical transformation of who they were. You know, the teenagers are going to, un- they're going to recognize some of this message because we talked about this on the trip. Because one day there was a devotional and then that night the, the gentleman spoke about this whole idea of dying to ourselves. And understanding what that means. And that's what Jesus is saying. I want you to repent. I want you to be a totally new person. I want you to be born again. I want you to be a new creation, Paul says. So, so he's saying repent because this message, this kingdom is now here. And you need to be transformed and be a part of that kingdom. So that's what Jesus is talking about. Then we come to our second passage. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, I hear people all the time, I'm going to deny myself this week, meaning I'm not going to eat a donut. Denying myself sugar this week. Denying myself Facebook this week. You know, no, that is not. He doesn't say deny yourself of things. He says deny yourself. Quit trying to do it yourself. You cannot do it. Deny yourself. Put yourself totally out of the picture. Because when it comes down to it, there's not a single person one day who's going to stand before the Lord and say, well, I knew Wade Hobbs, and he's going to go, okay, come on in. doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about Him. So it's not that we deny ourselves a luxury that we normally have. We deny ourselves. We get rid of who we are. We put ourselves away so that we can follow Him. John, the person, the first person who said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, said, he must increase, I must decrease. You know, one of the followers of John was a young man named Thaddeus. How many of you know anything about Thaddeus? Thaddeus was one of the disciples, one of the twelve disciples. You know what the scripture says about Thaddeus? Two words. And Thaddeus. They list all the disciples and Thaddeus. Thaddeus, somewhere along the line, learned he must increase, I must decrease. It's not about Thaddeus, it's about Jesus. So we deny ourselves. And then, oh, the best one, take up his cross daily. I hear it all the time. I heard it the other day. Well, that's just your cross to bear. This is my cross to bear. Meaning, somebody's irritating the daylights out of me, but i got to work with them, so this is my cross to bear. i got to just tough it out and deal with them. There's nowhere in Scripture that talks about our cross to bear in that sense. Let's talk about being patient with people and persevering with people. But when it talks about taking up your cross, that's a one-way trip. When someone took up a cross, they didn't look back over their shoulder. They knew the minute they picked it up where they were headed. And he says, take up your cross daily. 
Deny yourself. Die to yourself. Be willing to say, I... It sounds bad, I know. And I'm going to get in trouble probably. I do not matter. Now I don't mean that to say, let's go out and kill ourselves. And let's sit around and take depression medicine and and be depressed all the time because I don't matter. What I'm saying is, I'm here. Wade Hobbs is here for one reason. And that's to glorify the Lord in everything I do. To honor Him. I don't matter. Now I'm the instrument that He uses. But it's about Him. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And follow me. He says, for whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will die. I will will save it. See, the idea here is it's a choice to die. Now I don't mean... We go out and do something stupid and die for it. If you go out and do something stupid and you die, you're not a martyr. Okay? The issue is martyrdom comes because we're taking a stand for Christ. We had a gentleman not too long ago in India who, in some ways you could say he was a martyr, but he really wasn't. But what happened was, for years he had been sharing the gospel. He had one leg. And he would travel through India and Nepal on crutches to tell people about Jesus. And he's the one I've told the story. He was baptizing five men in a river. And the Hindu priest came. And when he came up out of the water, they beat him to where he had to go to the hospital. When he got out of the hospital, he led ten people to the Lord. He's baptizing them. The same guys come and beat him and put him back in the hospital. The next time he's baptizing fifteen to twenty, they come. And before they beat him this time, they go, why do you keep coming back? And he says, well, the more you beat me, the more people come to know Christ. I'm all right with that. This last time, they beat him, and he went to the hospital, and he actually died, but not from the beating, but from COVID. So in some ways, I consider him a martyr. That's a hard, that's a fine line to draw there. But he was in the hospital because he was taking a stand for Christ. And there's a, uh, Max Lucado said many years ago, It's easier to die like Jesus if you've spent a lifetime living like Him. See, we all think, well, I'll take a stand for Jesus at the end. Somebody put a gun to my head and says, you know, I'll kill you if you don't take a stand for Jesus. I'll do it. We're going to take a stand with our neighbor. So what makes us think we'll take a stand like that? But the issue is, when that time comes, if that time ever comes, the reason people can give their lives, the reason He died in the hospital... Is because he died a long time before. He died to himself. He said, I've died to follow Christ. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's the idea that, that it's not, I choose to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Jim Elliott said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He said this in his journal when he was in college. When he was 29 years old, he was martyred in the jungles of Ecuador for his faith. 
He died physically when he was 29, but only because he died when he was 19. He chose then that my life only matters if it's for Christ. It only matters if I'm honoring and living for Him. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. See, there has to come a point in time in our lives if we're going to follow Christ and we're going to do what He's called us to do, we have to die to ourselves. We have to say, it's not about me. So that whatever comes our way, sickness, disease, martyrdom, persecution, whatever it is, we can make it through not because it's easy, but because we're dead. And that's hard. Jesus was calling guys and he, he called them in this message and they spent three more years not having the slightest clue what he was talking about. And it took him dying on a cross and rising again and the Holy Spirit coming on them in, at Pentecost for them to understand, oh, this is what it's about. One of those twelve killed himself because he didn't repent of his sin. The other 11, and the one that replaced the 12, 11 of the 12 died a martyr's death. One died on an island by himself because he, when they tried to kill him, he didn't die. Stuck him in a vat of oil to boil him to death, and he lived. I think I'd rather die. <laughs> but, but he made it through. But the issue here is, all of those people died and understood that spiritually, I died, and now I am in Christ. So the question this morning is, are you ready to die to yourself? Because the point of this series is not for everybody in here to have more knowledge about what Jesus taught. The point of this series is that we are and we are making disciples. That each one of us is pouring into someone else. Each one of us has died to ourselves to the point where now we can invest in others because the idea is that God gets the glory and not us. That we are impacting lives. You say, well, you know, you took a group of teenagers on a mission trip and yet four of them prayed to receive Christ and that's exciting, but... The other things, all they did was paint a house and do some cleanup around. No, that's not all they did. Every one of them will tell you they painted that house because they were painting a house for Jesus. Yeah, they were painting a house for Mr. Willie, but they were also painting a house for Jesus. They were staining a porch and dragging limbs for BCM, but they were doing it for Jesus. And God's going to take that and use that. Everything we do is for His honor and His glory because we chose to, to take up our cross and follow Him. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow Him, repent, to have a radical transformation. 
And none of these things can you do on your own. You know why you repent? Because God moves in your heart and challenges you to repent. You know why you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Him? Because Christ moves in your heart and changes who you are. If you say, Wade, why are you asking? Are you ready to die to yourself? That reasoning alone. Are you ready to say, Lord, I want you to be the reason I live in everything I do? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much.